welcome back, Compass Bible Church, to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. That is Pastor Hayden there. I am. And this is Pastor Evan. And here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It's an exciting thing to do that. It is. We reach people for Christ. We teach people to be like Christ and train people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training Well, Pastor Hayden, you preached on Sunday a brand new sermon series, a two-week series, uh, God at Work. And the uh, the title of your sermon on Sunday was A Biblical Work Ethic Based on Colossians 3, verses 22 to 24. And let me read that right now. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. All right, Pastor Haven, I applied Pastor Hayden, Pastor Hayden, I applaud you for the tough topic that you had to preach on on Sunday, mm. and remind us of the focus as we are trying to sift through from what all you preached uh, preached on on Sunday. What should we focus on and remember this week? Well, specifically, as you guys uh, remember, the one thing that we're focusing on is this, that knowing that your earthly faithfulness produces a reward in eternity should empower you to wholeheartedly embrace the work that God has you undertaking right here and right now. And we really uh, split that up into three smaller points means, one, if we're going to understand that our earthly faithfulness produces rewards in eternity, and if we're going to wholeheartedly embrace the work of God, uh, we need to invest in our eternity, right? We don't need to be uh, storing up our treasure here where uh, moth and rust and thieves uh, do away with all of our stuff, but we need to invest it in heaven where moth, where rust, where, where thieves cannot enter and they cannot steal. It's being guarded by the power of God. We need to be investing in our eternity. Number two is we need to be improving our work ethic. That is this idea in our culture that people just aren't hard workers anymore, and uh, it's becoming more and more so. We we don't have the drive to work hard. We, uh, we, we're trying to work less. We're trying to figure out how to retire early. We're trying to figure out how to work less days, work less hours. We're trying to find jobs where they're not asking much of us. But really, I mean, a biblical work ethic is robust and full of our commitment to work heartily, which is uh, that word psyche, which is this idea that I'm working with my soul. I'm putting my soul into it. And so, you know, you heard that on Sunday, but this idea that, you know, are you working with putting your soul into it and you working as for the Lord and not for man, right? That is a robust work ethic. And you can't, you really can't wiggle out of that. You can't juke your way out of this idea that man working and a, a large work ethic is such a biblical truth in scripture. And we need to learn as Christians, like that's our job. You are going to, you should go to sleep tired. Right, every single night you should go to sleep tired, and that's that's what it means to be a believer with a strong biblical work ethic. And then, lastly, you're going to be able to do all this. You're going to invest in your eternity. You're going to improve your work ethic because you remember who you're working for. Right, and I'm not working for Google. I'm not working for Amazon. I'm not working for anybody. I'm working for the Lord. And of course, I have earthly bosses and earthly people that I have to submit to and do what they ask me to do and do what they say. But I'm doing it, understanding who I'm really working for, and that is the Lord. 
All right, Pastor Hayden, you had a lot that you wanted to say, but you were not able to get to on Sunday. Now, here's your opportunity to be able to share with Compass what are some of the things that you wanted to say, but didn't have the time. I mean, you could have if it was a four-hour sermon, Mm. but you don't. So what is something that you missed on Sunday that you wish you were able to articulate? I know we talked about this a little bit, but, you know, given our cultural climate uh, and given... uh, you know, the, the brevity of our Sunday services, in a sense, you probably wouldn't think it's brief, but <laughs> it is brief when it comes to all the context of Scripture. Uh, we didn't have as much time as I would like to describe and to talk about uh, what it means when we say bond servants here. Well, you know, we are, are textual kind of people at our church. We want to understand what in the world is going on here. Well, if, if you understand Greek at all, you understand that uh, bond servant is not actually the word rendered in the Greek. Uh, the word rendered in the Greek there is the noun form of doulos, which is the which is a person, and doulos is slave, and so this is the person that is a slave. Uh, but if you see in the ESV, it says bond servants. Well, that's because uh, in the ESV they did the hard work for us to try to help us understand. Well, what are they talking about? Like you know, because when we understand slavery, we really only have one category for an idea of slavery, and that is colonial slavery, where we went and we we were literally napped people and we stole people. I say we, that is, you know, historically in the colonial time periods, uh, there were people who stole uh, people from countries and took them over places in South America, here in North America, and they put them into uh, labor camps and put them into slave labor and put them on uh, the farms to do agrarian uh, jobs. And so that's really our only lens to look at slavery if uh, if we don't have a lot of research. If you grew up in uh, America, that's what you, what you learned when you were in your history class. And so uh, if that's all the categories you have for slavery, uh, you kind of miss out on uh, slavery in the first century. So in, slavery in the first century was much more nuanced than uh, what we deal what we deal with in our history classes. Uh, I'm not saying it's a great thing. No one wanted to be a slave. It wasn't something that you you went to you went you went out and was like I I love it. I'm a slave. I, ooh, it's great. But what we understand uh, is uh, slavery uh, in the first century Roman Empire uh, was a lot different. It was very nuanced. Uh, you had people who worked in the cities. People slaves could be lawyers. Slaves could be business owners. I mean, slaves, in, in a lot of contexts, you couldn't actually tell who was a freedman and who was a slave. That were, there's actually a uh, documented uh, situation where people are like, I don't know if this person's a slave or if they're a freed person. Uh, there are actually many ways in ancient times where someone was made a slave, right? You were made a slave uh, maybe because of war, uh, and you were the losing nation. Uh, that's actually where we get the word slave from. It comes from that idea in war where uh, slaves were those people who were saved from getting killed. So slave, saved. You see how those words are, are similar there. And saved to do something else. Right. Saved, yeah. It's not like you were saved and they set them free, but they were saved to be enslaved, uh, but they weren't killed. And so that word comes from this idea that you were taken from war to be a slave, Okay. Uh, stolen and kidnapped, that's another way someone was made a slave. That's, some, that's probably the one you are, as, as a listener here, most aware of, uh, you know, understanding colonial history. Um, there were people who were purchased one way or the other. It could be legally, could be illegally. Uh, but there were also things like indentured servitude, uh, people who sold themselves for remitted payments that they, were, that they sold themselves into slavery to because they wanted to make money, kind of like a contractual agreement. Uh, I, I, you own me, but now you pay me for my services and for my skills. 
Uh, but you also had people who sold themselves into slavery for protection and for basic needs. People who were poor, couldn't afford to take care of their families. Uh, they would sell themselves to a wealthy uh, master who then took care of them. And as they worked for them, they made sure that they were, they were clothed and they were fed and they had shelter for them and all their family. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just, we got to understand that even in the first century here, there's a lot of nuance to what a slave was and wasn't. It's very broad. Very broad. Uh, I mean, there were even uh, this thing, there was even a term, uh, I can't remember the actual Greek t- title, but there was like a half slave. And it was somebody who was literally like, they were, they obviously had a master, but they lived where they wanted, worked where they wanted, did everything they wanted. They just, they were just half slaves. And so what I'm, we're saying here, all we're saying here is there is a wide, uh, margin for what a slave even was in uh, first century uh, Roman uh, Roman Empire and, and the Greek speaking culture. And even in modern in our modern era, it's, it's we just categorized it differently. So for example, in like World War II, prisoners of war, they didn't just sit there, they were put to work. They're put in labor camps. In the ancient world, they're, they're just called slaves. slaves. People yeah. in the 18th century, they would people have indentured servants. They would just call them slaves. So it's right. a much broader term than it would be used when we say the word slave, right. talking about chattel slavery in the Americas specifically. Right. And so that's why when you see in verse 22, when it uses the word bond servants, it's really doing the hard work for us because when we when we read the word slave we automatically go to colonial times but here uh, we understand scholars understand that there was a large uh, swath of what a slave was and so particularly here they're talking about this kind of slavery a bond servant a one who sold themselves uh, for who they sold themselves and their skills for payment and so there's these people who okay I'm working I'm, I'm contractually obligated you're my master you still own me and you still tell me what I can and can't do uh, but it is the only uh, way in the first century a Christian could own a slave without breaking the moral law of God and that was through this idea of indentured servitude. I'm exchanging my services for pay. Uh, and uh, like I said before, it wasn't a lovely and cherished position. No one wanted to be a slave. But it was a different kind of uh, slavery, even qualitatively different kind of slavery we're talking about. Were there people who mistreated their indentured ser- uh, servants? Yes. Uh, you know, We can talk about all the, the exceptions, the rule. But we are talking about a specific kind. And I know I talked about that a little bit in the service. But just to clarify, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, and really, at the end of the day, what we understand was slavery was tolerated, but it wasn't endorsed. Right? It's in Scripture because it was things really going on in that time. And the Bible doesn't leave anything out. It talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and at the end of the day, we understand through Scripture that all people are equal in essence and treated as such in God's church. As a matter of fact, Colossians 3.11 said this, so obviously we understand Scripture uh, doesn't uh, endorse this idea of slavery. Here's why. Here, in, in Colossians 3.11, we just talked about it a few weeks ago, there is not Greek or Jew, some are circumcised and uncircumcised, the barbarian or Scythian or slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So there we go. I mean, this idea that... Uh, from our even understanding of colonial slavery, slaves and free were not equal. I mean, they weren't e- they weren't equal for a long time. We had we have we even had laws where we wanted we wanted uh, our, the slaves to vote, and they couldn't even vote as full human beings. And so, the, even in Scripture in the first century, uh, that has been obliterated because it says right here, slaves and free are all in Christ are the equal. And so, you know, again, it's this idea that Scripture here articulates clearly that they're all equal in essence and treated as such in God's church.
And another encouraging note is that with all this, the slave and the master, if they are Christians, they're in the family of God. Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk about this more next week. But re- remember the focus from Pastor Hayden's sermon, that it's all about us working heartily for the Lord, which right. is going to lead right into our application questions as we uh, work through those this week. So Pastor Hayden, we heard your sermon Sunday. We're about to go through the questions uh, so we can prepare ourselves for a life group. Mm-hmm. How can we, fo- there's a lot of rabbit trails we can go down. Right. How can we focus, what can we focus on as we do our application questions this week? Right. I mean, a lot of rabbit trails, but at the end of the day, here's what you need to think. Bond servant, someone who... Uh, someone who's contractually obligated to do services of work for payment. Well, that sounds a lot like you and me when we sign a contract at work and we then are contractually obligated to fulfill work. Well, great. That's where we a lot, most of us live in, within our lives is we have, uh, we, we're working and we're getting paid and we have bosses and we have people who get to tell us what to do and sometimes we don't like it. But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, do you have a biblical work ethic? Because scripture teaches us that we work uh, as for the Lord. We fear the Lord. We're working not by way of eye service. We're not people pleasers, uh, but with sincerity of heart. And whatever we do, we work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Well, do you have a biblical work ethic? Does the, does your theology and understanding about work include, I'm working for the Lord and not for man, so I'm going to work really, really hard? Not like most people say, I'm going to work, uh, I'm working for the Lord, not for man, so then I'm not going to do a really good job because I'm not working for you, I'm working for the Lord. Well, if we're going to work for the Lord, that means we're going to work even harder. I mean, that, and that's this idea here, even in that slave context that you find in Colossians, like, you know, it, it is, it was good for a master to have Christian slaves because that, uh, that gave this promise that these slaves were going to live according to a biblical ethic and they were going to work hard, uh, because they were actually working for the Lord. And so it was just really beautiful relationship, even in the first century that masters were going to treat their slaves amazing. Uh, slaves were going to love their masters and they were going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And so for us at the end of the day, we just need to look at our application questions and ask, do you have a biblical work ethic? I mean, does your boss look at you and say, wow, man, I love that. That person, they work so hard. And not only do they work and they, they, they do good for the company, uh, you know, they've really influenced me when it comes to the gospel. Uh, and then secondly, this, do you see God's design in your day-to-day work? I mean, are you one of those people? Do you understand the concept of work uh, in the, for the biblical worldview? Things like uh, work was not a post-fall consequence of sin. Like we were called to work before the fall. That was what we were put in the garden to do. And we're going to be working for eternity. And if you don't have a framework of of work in your theology that is robust and meaningful, uh, we're going to have a problem uh, working uh, the way that God calls us to do. He calls us to work hard, and it's for Him, uh, and it's to fulfill the, the, His design for us here on earth. All right, Pastor Evan, we are at the section of our daily Bible reading spotlight. You think you can do this? Oh, we can do this. Let's do it. All right, Compass, you guys are doing a great job reading through the Bible together. And if if you miss some days, just jump on board. This podcast is to help you catch up so that we can stay on track and read the Bible together this year. So in your Old Testament DBR, you're going to be covering Judges, Judges chapter 12 all the way to the end. You're covering the entire book of Ruth, which isn't really that long, but <laughs> it's great. You finish another book and you're going to be beginning First uh, Samuel. Well, actually, it's really one book. We just broke it up in two because there's two scrolls, one book. But we are going to focus on Judges and Ruth for this section of the podcast. And as we're wrapping up Judges, 
I just want to encourage, you know, encourage you that what you're feeling in this disgust is is normal. The way that judges ends is just horrific, deplorable. It's it's terrible, and it just it makes me it makes all of us uncomfortable, and that's the point. Because remember, the term judge is this is to remind Israel of a deliverer that God is going to raise up a deliverer, which we now know as Christians is going to be Christ. But the purpose of judges overall is to show how Israel needs a leader. They need a king. And as the outline kind of dictates, as you're beginning to read and you're beginning to notice the details, you got to see judges as a downward spiral. It's almost you can get a piece of paper and make a wide line and make it narrow, more narrow, like a tornado. That's the book of Judges. Because the closer we get to the end, the worse and worse and worse it just gets. And even though the, the cycle's the same, Israel does evil, worships false gods, God becomes angry, gives them over to their enemies, Israel cries for help, God raises up a judge to deliver them, and Israel returns again. The, the cycle's still there, but just it gets so bad at the end, and that's that's the point. And the the I think part part of the problem is is when we read the accounts of like Jephthah or Samson, you know, we remember in Hebrews eleven thirty two these are people men who were in the hall of faith in Hebrews, and yet we look at their lives like sure Jephthah was a great commander, he won victory. Samson was strong, he killed a thousand Philistines with a, a jawbone of a donkey. We will look at their lives and go, what on earth? How can these men be considered faithful? And it is a reminder that we aren't perfect. It is God's work that's going to deliver. It's God, it's our faith in God to deliver. And that's what happens at the end of Samson's life. It's just focus on him, where at the very end, he finally relents and starts relying on his strength and says, God, give me the strength once again to defeat my enemies, which is God's enemies, and God does. And that is the faith that we need to make sure that we are turning to God in all of our lives to see these judges and go, you know, sure, they did evil things, but I do sin all the time. I need to rely on Christ to deliver me. And so even the book of Judges is trying to point us to Christ, that Christ is the one that makes us righteous, not our works. It's Ephesians 2, 7 through seven through 9, that he um, is his grace and kindness towards uh, towards us in Christ. He's trying to display his mercy to us because by grace we have been saved through faith. Samson had faith in God to deliver. Jephthah, even though he was imperfect, had faith in God to deliver. And this is not of our own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So as a reading judges, keep that in the, in the back of your mind and remember they're not perfect, and neither are we. And our works don't save us. It's only our faith in Christ that does. And when that happens, God changes us, and then we do good works, as verse 10 talks about Ephesians 2.10, for the Lord. And so even though the book of Judges ends just horribly, I mean, the Levite and the concubine, you have a Levite that has a concubine. Like, what's going on? It's like, that's the point. How on earth is a Levite having a concubine as a wife? That's not, that is so how far gone Israel has become. And it's supposed to land with the end of Judges, verse 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king. Everyone did was, did was right in their own eyes. And so when that horrific event with the concubine being murdered and then them sp- splitting up the body and sending them all over the corners of Israel to defeat one of their own tribesmen. It's a show that Israel needs a king, which leads right into the book of Ruth. 
So when you read these four chapters, this is kind of the encouraging book that we read and Ruth's love and Boaz's love for each other. But don't lose the focus of Ruth. Who is Ruth? Well, she's a Moabite. She is actually Israel's enemy. She is a descendant of Israel's enemies. But here is a Moabite looking righteous, looking good, looking like she's going to follow God instead. And think about this further. You know, Naomi, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, her family moved to Moab. They left Israel. They didn't trust God to provide because there's a famine. So they left to Moab, uh, Moab and her sons married Moabites, which they disobeyed God. Deuteronomy 11 verses 13 to 17. They disobeyed God. But yet, despite their disobedience, God's going to still be faithful. God's going to still do, still do his work. And in the book of Ruth, you need to remember the promise back in Genesis 3 that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now, this is a, the overall story of the Bible where Jesus dies on the cross. He crushes the head of Satan and defeats sin and rises from the, rises from, rises from the dead, Easter Sunday. But remember, this is also a promise, an offspring that's going to come from Abraham, from, from Jacob, from Judah. And so despite Israel's apostasy, despite Israel's sin, and remember, the book of Ruth takes place in the book of Judges. So it begins this way during the time of Judges. So when you're reading the depravity of Judges, remember, this is when Ruth is happening. So despite the depravity of the culture around them, they're still faithful Israelites like Boaz. And there's Gentiles who abandon the idols that Israel's worshiping to follow the true God. And so despite all this happening, God is faithful to draw people towards himself. And in the book ends with a lineage. A lineage to who? King David. Now we know David is the lineage to the Messiah, but for the greatest king of Israel, for their lineage to come from a Moabite is just something that's uncalled for. It's something to look down upon, but yet despite Israel's unfaithfulness and that downward spiral, you can draw a straight line down that your little tornado on that piece of paper because God is faithful despite the circumstances. Now, as you're reading the book of Ruth, you're going to hear the, the term kinsman redeemer. This is when Boaz buys back Ruth and, and then the property under actually more of Naomi's uh, uh, property that was uh, promised to her, her family through um, the allotment back in Joshua. Boaz is representing Christ. It's a foreshadow of Christ as how you know, he bought back Ruth. Jesus bought back us with his blood. It's a reminder in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, that we as, as sinners were ransomed from our futile ways. By what? By the precious blood of Christ. So Boaz bought Ruth back. Ruth redeemed her through money. Christ redeems us through his blood. And so the point for us Christians is twofold. One, we have to turn to Christ to redeem us. We are far gone. We are depraved. We are sinful. And we need Christ to cleanse us and to redeem us. And secondly, as we may read the book of Judges and feel more discouraged because we look at our culture and see how depraved our culture is and how insane they're looking, we as Christians cannot fall into the trap of becoming anxious. Instead, we have to remember these words like in John 16, even though in the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do we believe the words of Jesus that he is faithful despite the cultural, the culture around us and how depraved they might be? And remember another promise that God gave to the disciples in Matthew 16, that God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. They will be taking ground. So as Christians, when we read Ruth and see God's faithfulness, let's remember the faithfulness of God. That if we are, if 
confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and that he can save any person. And that is exactly the line that you've been drawing about the the serpent and man, right? Is this idea that the serpent is going to bite the heel, right? So we understand that there's tribulations in the world. Well, the evil and Satan and sin, they're going to bite the heel. But take heart, Christ has overcome the world. He's crushed the head. I mean, that's really what you're talking. You see that all the way through Scripture. Again, I tell you, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Again, the the gates of hell are going to try are going to try to run amok in the church, uh, and it's going to nip at the heels, and it's going to wound and it's going to hurt, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the church uh, is going to prevail. The gates of hell aren't going to prevail over it because we're going to crush the head of the serpent. So for us, I mean, uh, we have such an optimistic future. We have such a victorious future, and uh, even though you see a lot of just reality throughout these books that reading in the Old Testament, the truth is, is Jesus is coming. Amen to that. And so as Christians, as we read Judges, don't feel discouraged by reading Judges and seeing the headlines of the news today. Instead, remember the book of Ruth and the the hope that is there that the king, King David, is not just the, the last king. The king of kings, Christ, who comes from King David, is coming. And that despite whatever cultural circumstance that we're in that might look like the book of Judges, God is faithful. There's still faithful believers all over the world, and God is still saving souls. So let's take that as an encouragement as we head into the book of Samuel, beginning in the first, the first half of it. So that ends the DBR segment, Pastor Hayden. As promised, we have a current event, and we're going to be talking about Easter. Now, no bunnies today, but we are talking about what we are celebrating at Compass Bible Church. Well, of course, guys, we understand that uh, we, we celebrate on, on Friday what we call Good Friday, and that is the Friday leading up to Easter. And what we celebrate there is the fact that Christ had died for us, that he was the Passover lamb, that, that he was sacrificed for us, for our good, that uh, that death would pass over us uh, and that we would be saved uh, through the blood of the lamb. And so we call it Good Friday, not because... It was such a great thing. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that it was such an evil thing that, that Christ was crucified, but it was so good for us in that since Christ was our substitute, then we ourselves have uh, we have life. And so you can see even uh, how the, the Good Friday in, in Christ, it's uh, we call it the Lord's, we do the Lord's Supper. It's actually connected to the Passover. And that is, you know, they celebrated the Passover, uh, you know, in the Old Testament in Exodus, because that's when, uh, that's when the angel of death passed over the homes there in Egypt of the faithful Israelites who then sacrificed a lamb and put the blood on the lentils over the door uh, so that whoever had the blood of the lamb on the door uh, when the angel of death passed over their homes at night uh, it would not it would not kill the firstborn which happened all throughout Egypt as the firstborn of all of people and livestock and all things had died who didn't have the blood on the doorpost of their doors and as they woke up the next morning the truth was found out that uh, those who had the blood of the lamb on the door were saved, uh, and those who didn't uh, were not. They perished. And so we see that Exodus 12, as uh, this scene is about to unfold, uh, it says this, that you shall observe this rite, that is the Passover, as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep the service. So it's something they're going to celebrate, not just when it happened, but for the rest of the history, right? Uh, And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service is Passover thing. Here's what you're going to tell them. It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people in Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our homes, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. 
Uh, and then Jesus takes that entire uh, that entire service, and then he transforms it uh, in in Matthew uh, when he says, "Listen, we're gonna, we're celebrating the same thing just in the New Testament." Uh, and he's and here's what Jesus says on the first day of unleavened bread the disciples came to Jesus and said where are you going to have us prepare to eat the Passover they're just doing what they've been told to do for generations and generations and so he says this go into the city to a certain man and say to him the teacher says my time is at hand I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples and the disciples as Jesus had directed them went and prepared the Passover and they were reclining at the table, and then fast forward to verse 26, they were eating, and Jesus took the bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now again, you, you understand in the Passover, they took lamb, they took uh, bread with bitter herbs, it was unleavened, and they ate it in haste, knowing that they were all about to leave Egypt there in the Old Testament when God had directed. And so they're still eating the same meal that they had, eat, that they had eaten there in the Old Testament, but now Jesus is giving a new meaning. He said, listen, take this bread. And this bread, this is my body, right? This is my body, and you're going you're gonna to eat it. And he says, and take this cup, and he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. We're no longer talking about bloods of, of, of a lamb here that, that you put on the doorpost. We're talking about my blood. My blood is the one who's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So it's no longer, we're not no longer thinking of the Passover as the lamb's blood on the doorpost that, that saved Israel from Egypt. You're now saying that my blood poured on you is going to save you from the penalty of sin. And when the angel of death passes over and the wrath of God is poured out on all humanity, uh, we're going to be forgiven. And it says in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So the truth for us is that Jesus is even awaiting to continue this Passover festival with us at the marriage supper of the Lamb that we're all going to enjoy with Christ. And so when we talk about Good Friday, that, my friends, is what we're talking about, that it was Jesus's body uh, that we take and remember as his body hung on that cross and was given for us and his blood was poured out for us. And that's what we can look forward to because of Good Friday. And there's so much more to talk about with Good Friday. And that's why so you need to come to Good Friday service that's at Comes right. Bible Church and invite people there. So 5 p.m. and 6.30. 5 p.m. and 6.30. Well, guys, we're almost running out of time. And so why don't we make Easter Sunday next week? Let's do it. All right. And so we talked a little bit about Good Friday. Next next week, we'll get into Easter Sunday and what that's all about. But as we think about Jesus as our Passover lamb, uh, we can look forward to all that God uh, is going to do through our lives because we are no longer bound in sin, but we've been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All right. To, fu- to end up, let's just go here, talk about some church-wide announcements. Friends, you need to keep inviting people to our Easter weekend service. Keep it up. We want to see people saved. We want to see people respond to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So keep inviting people. we got flyers and posters uh, galore. So we're never going to run out of those. Let's get out there and invite them to church. Okay, well, that means we have Good Friday 5 and 6.30, an Easter service at 11 a.m. on the 17th, and we're going to have a massive celebration after that. I mean, rock climbing walls, Ooh. bounce houses, what? big giant blow-up slides. That's amazing. We're going to have food trucks, ice cream trucks, snow cone stands. I mean, really what we're doing here is we're creating a celebration service for what God has done, and we want to invite people in the community to come celebrate what God has done uh, in our lives from Easter and for our celebration of getting us into this new 
facility. Let's celebrate. All right. And then a couple things. Church work day this Saturday, April 9th for a lot of major products. So be there from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. You don't have to be there all day. but Open hours. But you could. Uh, and uh, just be there for when you can and help us put this facility together as we prepare for all God has for us. And then baptisms on May 1st. If you have been saved, you've returned from your sins, trusted in Christ, but have never followed through in believer's baptism, register online and we'll chat more about that and talk through your testimony as we prepare to do baptism services on May 1st. Don't miss those. All right, guys, we look forward to seeing you in life groups and seeing you on Sunday. Mm -hmm.